Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Okay, super excited for this new podcast. We're kind of getting down to the end of the year, but we got Colin Sheehan. Things have changed in your world, Colin. I think maybe a, maybe a congratulations is in order. Uh, welcome, welcome back. Thank you, Steve. It's so great to talk to you again. Uh, you're right. Uh, all good things must come to an end. 15 years of the old golf coach. Uh, I, I loved it immensely. Imagine everyone should, should get to be so lucky to look after their, after their former program. Um, and historic yeah, right. one so, but, uh, you know, I, like I said, I, that was a job I would do for free and I was so emotionally invested in it. I, I care, I loved it so much and uh, the relationships with the kids was priceless and, but I don't have to tell you what it's like, you know, my, my daughters are 15, 12 and seven and, and I just, I saw the future and I was like, am I going to be perpetually unavailable for the fall and springs of the, you know, of these coming years and yeah. miss out on soccer and lacrosse and, and it just seemed like I'm going to, I'm going to claw back 10 weekends of the year plus spring break and, uh, you know, it's time for somebody else to have the greatest job in college golf. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's 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 great news, and uh, yeah, great to hear. Everything's going going great there, and um, yeah, you know, change change can be really good, and and um, you know, we we've uh, I know your travels have taken you lots of places. It sounds like you're on the road right now. You're uh, in an airport right now, I think, heading somewhere fun. I bet. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I'm going to Peachtree this afternoon. I'm here in Atlanta, and I'm speaking. Uh, there's a Bobby Jones event every two years at Peachtree hosts an event uh, with, with teams from every from every place where Bobby Jones was either um, had had competed or had won, had won a national, you know, had won a title, or and so it's pretty cool. It's got an international flavor. Um, and they, every and every time they have the event, they 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 go in sequential order of his of his of accomplishments. And so I'm um, speaking on the, the 1924 U.S. Amateur. Wow. So that's pretty cool. I, you you know I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're the you're the, our resident historical buff and uh, historical you know genius in the game of golf and. Uh, yeah, really cool. So where I'll tell you what our Silver Club travels have taken us uh, in a minute, yeah. but where are some of your travels taking you this summer? I know it's been a little bit since we've caught up, but uh, you know, some some great places, some great courses, and totally. Well, so I'm spending. I I, I jokingly refer to um, when I'm not sort of in addition to being able to spend more time in the Outpost Club, uh, I am spending uh, a good amount of time on uh ambitious destination private golf clubs on rural sandy sites in american red states <laughs> <laughs> we we like that we like sandy soil golf courses yeah yeah so um you know i there's that i uh i'm involved in a in a, in a really exciting project in the texas panhandle called children's hall that's 36 holes uh tom doak starts in basically two months 
and Gilhan starts in 14 months. Greenlit, wow. we just greenlit 36 holes there uh, on the stunning sand dunes on a working cattle ranch on a bend in the prairie dog town fork Red River, which is the headwater <laughs> to the sandy braided stream, which is headwaters to the Red River. And uh, the ground is incredible. There's, you know, it's just classic UK lynx lands uh, with stunning, stunning views. And, and then closer to home for you, Steve. Uh, another project uh, is in Central Florida, High Grove. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's that 100-mile-long ridge, the Lake Wales Ridge, a 100-mile-long seam of sand, and at the very bottom of it, right as it starts just a few miles before it tapers out, in Venus, um, I was able to convince Ryan Hanks out of Charlotte to, uh, you know, take the lead on a project where we have 1,200 acres of Valencia orange trees. Oh, boy. On, on sand dunes, on, on ancient sand dunes that rise in elevation from 5 feet to 175 feet above sea level, which for Florida, as you know, is like Nepal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I grew up in the near Fort Lauderdale, and yeah, it's uh, you get about a you know a couple feet elevation here or there. That's about it. Um but uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. That sounds like so much fun and being involved. Yeah. There's so many. I mean, all these places that are so remote. I I took my first trip to Bandon Dunes with the Silver Club uh, back in early August. I'd never been to Bandon, and it was amazing. It was so far out there, though. But you know, but it like once you got there, you felt like it was you were just meant to be there, and and you didn't care about the you know four hour drive from Portland or wherever you come right. from. So. Um, and then we were in Scotland. Uh, we watched I the know. Walker. We watched the Walker Cup at the old course. We were going back and forth. We walked over the Swilkenburn Bridge like seven times that Sunday. It was out of this world. We got to walk the fairways with the next stars of the game. Uh, you know, from Gordon Sargent to Dylan Menente to Nick Dunlap, the uh, U.S. Amateur Champion. There's a lot of great. GB and I players as well, but just to to feel what the Walker Cup really supposed to be at the old course and be involved and and then you know for for me personally see all you know my former Walker Cup teammates and you know to be a part of the opening ceremonies we sat right on the first tee looking right at the uh, RNA clubhouse and right in front when all the the participants came up and the flag raising ceremony and everything it was. I, I get chills thinking about how special that moment was and um and, and where we were, you know, just the, the location and the moment was uh it was kind of overwhelming, honestly. And I got to shake the hand of Sir Michael Bolinek, uh, who sadly passed away just I think about a week ago. And um right. but uh Amazing. I love I love I love trailing. I love tracking that trip of yours. And you returned to uh Nairn and you returned to the Highlands. <laughs> Yeah, we got out to Castle Stewart. Yes, yes, got to uh, Castle Stewart, now called Cabot Highlands. Um, but right. just a, an awesome play. Doke is building a new course out there too. They're going to have thirty six holes. Um, cool. That was that was really cool to go back to Nairn, where played the ninety nine Walker Cup. Uh, that was really cool. Although we didn't have the the greatest uh, uh, finish that, that year, but you know, got beat by. 
the guy who was the uh, Ryder Cup winning captain yesterday, Luke Donald. So, uh, you know, kind of rubbed elbows with him and uh, got my butt kicked, uh, me and Jonathan Bird. Uh, Paul Casey and Luke Luke played against us and uh, soundly awesome. beat us. But, uh, but yeah, to go back and kind of relive all that. and uh, But, yeah, you talk about these sandy soil golf courses. And, and, you know, I was lucky enough to, you know, with the through the Silver Club, just walk around and play and be a part of so many great places. And uh, so, yeah, that was that was a ton of fun. What was your take on uh, on how the Ryder Cup turned out yesterday? So I like everyone was I I didn't I watched I watched yesterday thinking, well, this is about this could be historic. It could be a great it could be a great comeback. It wasn't out of the question. Um, I regret our players took five weeks off. I could just imagine if, uh, Steve, imagine if our, our, you know, our college golf coaches, uh, you know, if we told them that we just took five weeks off before, before the conference championship. Outrageous. <laughs> Outrageous. Come on, guys. Like, what a shame. Uh, I feel like that was an unforced error. Um, I'll always say this about the Ryder Cup. The Europeans always want it more badly. They... You, you know, you travel around Europe, they live for international competitions. It's cricket, rugby, like soccer, whatever. And they just, they get up for beating the Americans more than the Americans can get sort of, you know, excited about beating Europe. Um, yeah. They, yeah. They, they're, they're the underdogs. We're the, you know, we're just, we're the sort of rich, you know, uh, fat, fat cat Americans. Uh, <laughs> And they love to beat us. And, you know, you play team golf before. Isn't it fun to see people just, uh, you know, play on behalf of each other and on others? I love I love the foursomes competition. I love the four ball. I love, the, you know, I just, I, I, uh, I was really into it. I was, pulling for, I was pulling for the American lads. I felt like there was a moment there when Ricky got it to one down. And, and uh, you know, I was like, we could flip a couple of these and, but they were just, they were better. And it seems, and you can't, can't deny playing the Ryder cup out of, out of regular European tour venue. is helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I think having, uh, you know, they'll play Beth play Beth page black in a couple of years and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have the home crowd advantage, uh, obviously there, that'll be a pretty raucous environment, but I, I, I've got to agree with you that the, the five weeks off didn't help anybody. First of all, I mean, you're, you know, we won what a point and a half on day one and, right. and then, you know, they won 10 points over the next two days. So if they would have just gotten off to a, you know, a reasonable start and just been able to tie the first, you know, the first day, uh, we, we would have won it essentially. Exactly. Right. So, so, exactly. and we don't play any foursomes, right. We don't play the alternate shot. We hardly do it at all. So yeah, the, the, so there was a, a little recipe that was definitely missing there. I, I think one of the hard things is that the U.S. team they've got to play a team competition every single year, right? So it's hard to. I, I, I would I would personally think it'd be hard to get up for that every single year, and I don't know. Maybe it's got to be spread out a little bit more. I don't know, but but there is nothing like team golf. You're you're one hundred percent right. We play such an individual sport 99% of the time that when you have a team and then when you win, it's, you know, it's just that much better. So, 
you know, that's that's definitely uh, uh, we, we've got to we've got to change, you know, some of the recipe up, I think. But uh, you got to be a little bit more a little bit more tournament ready and on day one coming out of the blocks. And that would be very helpful. And feisty. They seem to love, you know, we we seem to um, the matches that go to 18 seem to sort of uh, disproportionately break their way. We got to we got to have uh, a better we got clo- we got to close some of these <laughs> matches out better. <laughs> better close rate, better close rate. <laughs> yeah. For sure, for sure. All right, well, any final thoughts before we head to this great podcast with Michael Block, the infamous one? I love it. I love I love that whole weekend of the PGA. I remember and then um, everyone can relate to, to their head pro and and we all you know, when you one loves to pull for the section pros at the PGA, that was something I'll never forget. And I love when someone up when he was offered a hundred thousand dollars for that for that seven iron that he made the ace. You know, the reason why he's just like so endearing is like I remember seeing the quote that he would he would personally deliver it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I love this guy. Yeah. Uh, no, I, he was one of the great stories in golf this year. Good for him, you know. Great player. You know, he let it. I loved uh, that. Was that was no doubt one of the highlights, one of the great golf stories of the year. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was really fun to be able to speak with him, and uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll definitely speak with you more uh, again yes. soon. We get to these winter months, you know, we have maybe a little bit more time, a uh, little less sunlight to deal with so maybe a little bit more time to chat so we'll we'll have to do this again real soon colin looking forward to see you be well all right colin it was great to speak with you and catch up but before we get to this podcast i just wanted to share with everybody about the silver club we've traveled to so many great places this year from bandon dunes to the shores of scotland to everywhere in between if you love to travel and you're a single digit and you want to have a fun competition with people all around the country, then hop on silverclubgs.com and fill out the web form. I'd love to speak with you and share everything about our society. It's been so much fun growing this over the five years we've been in existence. So I've talked to a lot of people over that time, and we've had so much fun building up this society to what it is today. And now is a great time to hop on board with the Silver Club. Any dues you pay now will last you all the way to the end of 2024. And at the beginning of 24, on January 1st, our initiation is going to increase quite a bit. So I wanted to just get that out to you so you connect with us right away. No reason to wait another minute to hop on board with the Silver Club. Such a great network. Even outside of our events are great opportunities for you to fraternize with your fellow member, go visit a great place, play in a member guest. It's that community that we have built over time that's been really special to see. Again, silverclubgs.com. Fill out the web form. I'm going to call you. It'll be a ton of fun. Okay, without further ado, let's get to this podcast with Michael and Dylan Block. All right, we've got an awesome Silver Club podcast, maybe the best one in history so far, 66th episode, and uh, we had to get this guy on and his son, who's making a name for himself, Michael Block and Dylan Block. Welcome to the Silver Club podcast. 
Thank you, Steve. Uh, greatly appreciate you having us on, buddy. Michael, we, there's been a lot of questions asked of you. I'm jumping on Dylan first, though, because I appreciated your time before the final round of the PGA this year, Dylan. Uh, we, we had a conversation and, you know, you said there was this quote and I'll never forget it. You said it would be the most insane thing ever if your dad continued to play well. And as, as we all know, he did. What is the level of insanity or has the level of insanity been since that day in May? Uh, Like a, if there's an insanity level, like a billion, because we can't go anywhere. He's the most annoying person to travel with now. Like not just from the golf aspect, but like the knowing, like people knowing him aspect. Like we can't go out to dinner without somebody asking for something. And it's so annoying because he loves doing everything for people. So it will take us an hour to eat dinner and then leave the restaurant and another hour to leave the restaurant because he loves to take so many pictures with people and love, just loves to, you know, be that person for people. But also, I mean, I hope he keeps doing it in the future because he has a whole bunch of tour events coming up. So hopefully he keeps <laughs> on going. No, that's cool. And you're playing some, some really good golf too. Um, I know over time, I mean, back in the summer, uh, I mean, you got, you, you made to the sectionals of the U S open, um, you know, you're creating quite a following for yourself on Instagram. Um, you just tell us real quick about the state of your game right now. It's, uh, it's good right now. Right now I'm trying to focus on gaining, not, not per se club head speed, but consistent high ball speed, because I want to be hopefully on tour one day and cruising. My goal is to be cruising between 210 and 220 ball speed on tour, hopefully. Right now, I'm about 190 to 193. So I'm trying to do that because I want, I want to go from, I don't, I want to go from that level to um, that 210 ball speed and 220 ball speed because I feel like once I do that, I want to be so far ahead of everybody that I can't, that no one's even close to me. Wow. But, that, um, yeah, that, yeah, I, no, that, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Someone was calling us. Um, You're good. But, um, Right now, it's kind of my putting. It's not that I three-jacket or do whatnot. It's I don't make my 8- to 20-foot birdie putts that I need to be making, and that's what's really, like, keeping me and holding me back. So that's what I'm really working on right now. Yeah. So those are the two things that are really big for me. Awesome. Well, uh, look, you, it's, a, it's a long race in this game, as uh, as as we all know. So you're you're going to be right in there just fine. That's, that's all. I can imagine you just have – drivers and wedges and putters you know that's probably yeah. what 80 percent of your practice 90 percent of your practice <laughs> that yeah basically i mean i rarely the only i mean i rarely hit fours and five irons on the golf course i'll mostly the most i usually have in a par fives is a seven or six iron so i don't really practice a lot of four and five irons so i don't really need to worry about it that's really just off the tee i hit a lot of four or four and three irons just to find the fairway if my driver's not on its A game. Yeah, that's that's wild. Really uh, good luck in that quest. And Michael, you had recently had a great quest. You won the SoCal Section Championship for the uh, the PGA section out there in Southern California and the Section Player of the Award. Tenth time in 11 years, brother. That's, uh, that's some pretty <laughs> consistent playing. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I know it's been uh, it's been a fun ride over the last 10 years, 11 years, and uh Lucky enough that I, I'm in a PJ section that has uh, three PJ tour events now to be able to uh, qualify for. So, um, yeah, I'm lucky enough to, because of the section win, I'm in the American Express out in the desert in January. And then also 
player of the year gets the farmer's insurance open at Tory. And then uh, the match play champion gets the new worldwide technologies event in Cabo San Lucas. So I've got, I've got those on the, uh, on the calendar. And um, like I said, I'm super lucky to be even, even able to qualify for those. That's awesome. Well, uh, well, yeah, so much to jump into with, with both you guys, but, uh, but really, you know, I, I was, I was definitely fortunate enough to, walk all those 18 holes on that fateful Sunday with you at Oak Hill. And it was, it was probably the most magical experience that I could ever experience as a broadcaster out there for ESPN. But I mean, for you being inside the ropes and going through that whole day, I mean, how has your life changed from that particular moment, from that final putt dropping that downhill seven and a half footer, on the 72nd hole that everybody saw and you kind of put your, your hands over your head and just in, in total disbelief. How has your life changed? <laughs> I'm still in that disbelief stage for sure, Steve. <laughs> um, I'm, I literally am because it, it hasn't stopped since. And, um, you know, I started just kind of, I, I, I've been kind of riding a cloud. Literally, this is the feeling I've had um, since basically uh, making the cut that, that Friday. Um, because immediately after making that cut on Friday, I've got Josh Allen, who's a buddy from locally here, but there he's a, he's a God uh, over in that Buffalo uh, Rochester area. And yeah. he FaceTimes me. He's like, where's, where are you at? And I'm like, I'm up in the player's lounge and uh, I'm going to have a beer. I'm going to, and I'm going to watch the uh, rest of the, the guys play. He goes, I'm coming. I'm, I'm coming with you. And uh, he cruised <laughs> in. And I mean, ever since then, this is kind of like how my life's been. It's just been like this, really odd feelings, all these people that uh, have been uh, reached out to me, um, the events I've been able to be part of, the outings I've been to be a part of, uh, has been amazing. And um, it's literally a dream where I'm pinching myself every day I wake up. It's like, you know, I used to have all these dreams, you know, in the past where I'd wake up and I go, oh man, that's a bummer. That wasn't real. Uh, basically, I've been waking up for, you know, what, four or five months now going, oh my gosh, this is real. <laughs> so, um, you know, I... I, I was lucky enough to go to the DJ Khaled event, and when I was down there, he had lunch with Dylan and I actually at his house after we played a practice round, and yeah. he talked to me. He goes, hey, Michael, he goes, you, you, you've got this thing going right now. He goes, don't just lay back and, and enjoy it. He goes, he goes, get after it right now. This is the time you need to get after it, and so that's been something where I have pretty much said no to – I haven't said no to anybody for anything, um, so I, I'm just I'm just trying to keep it going. I know I'm very busy right now, and it's, it's all good, and I'm probably going to – you know, I enjoy uh, plane flights right now. I'm, I'm enjoying kind of just being on a plane for five hours and sitting there and, and not worrying too much about anything. Yeah, I bet. I bet it's hard to get downtime. Well, it makes me even more appreciative that you're spending time with us on the Silver Club podcast today. But uh, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, OK, so so, yeah, you, you kind of touched over the DJ Khaled thing. There was a picture out there. I mean, I think Diddy was in the picture. I mean, like <laughs> what's the top top two or three coolest things? that you have done, maybe even outside of that. I mean, those are, that, that's pretty cool too. But like, the, what, what are a couple other things that maybe we don't know about? Uh, I mean, a lot of people have heard, you know, about the, the Michael Jordan texting me a couple of times, uh, <laughs> congratulating me was amazing. And even more so when I played poorly at Colonial the next week and he sent another text to me after, you know, five days later, um, you know, wishing me the best, even though I didn't play my best that, that week. Um, and, you know, DJ Khaled, my son's like, hey, Dad, you know DJ Khaled's following you on Instagram? I'm like, what? And uh, all of a sudden, you know, he's inviting me down to his tournament, and then he, invite me, he invites me for a practice round, and then he's like, when I'm there, he's like, oh, by the way, you're on my team, too. And uh, I'm like, hey, you know, and I'm just like, it's insane 
and then a whole bunch of a whole bunch of crazy you know luke bryan um you know the country singer and then just all these different people i met is insane and kelly slater the surfer reaching out to me was very very cool um you know so just all these people i've really looked up to um my whole life that never in my dreams would i think i'd ever even have a conversation with you know have become you know friends which is which is amazing yeah no that's that's uh yeah that's that's pretty special right there pretty cool and and dylan you got to you got to hang along there too right and, and experience a little bit of that <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh the cool i mean Khaled's the best. I mean, he he has so much energy and he just loves to talk and he loves to listen as well. Even more, he loves to listen and he loves to help help people. Like we were just talking about the most random stuff at his house and he just loves to chime in on and uh, help you out. But there's many, many great people that I met that um, were that I was just like, you know, I only see on Instagram or movies or whatnot. Yeah, I bet. And and yeah, and and Michael, you talked about that Michael Jordan text. We we've seen uh, you on the PGA memes, uh, you know, showing your shoe collection off and I I know that's, you know, the your your Nike uh connection there is a is a great uh is a great thing for you there. Are are you guys the same shoe size? That's that's a big question because my son who's 15 right now, he's getting into my shoe size pretty close and you know, I'm having to give up some of my shoes. Like, how? how what's the what's the so, feeling like? How close are you? Or are you past him now? We're so he's you're 12, right? Yeah, he's a 12, and I'm like 11.75. So we're literally like, and I have like wider feet, so I fit in literally a size 13. But um, so we wear the exact same shoes. Perfect. That's that's really nice because I know you got what what's the what sort of number of shoes are you up to? I mean, how many? Uh, how many more? How many you got now? I, ha- I have every um, Jordan golf shoe ever made, which is <laughs> which is kind of fun. But that you know, I'm now only wearing the Jordan One lows and uh, there's Jordan Ones on the golf course. So Dylan has uh, this availability oh. to all of the other Jordans, you know, all especially <laughs> ones that have come out. He wears them all. He doesn't care which one. He's wearing them all, no matter what you know, it's kind of whatever the flavors of the day. That's what he wears. But I'm just down to the ones because I I, I have such a great sensation of the feel on the ground uh, with mm-hmm. my putting and my driving with the ones. Yeah, I think Me, that's I'm a big scared. big I thing, can... right? You have so much speed, Dylan, right? Like you need something with like a spike on it, don't you? Exactly. I was literally Kyle Berkshire and Bobby Ray and Jack Smith, the long drivers, were out here the other day, and I was kind of talking to him and like. They were asking me, do I slip a lot? And I was like, you have no idea. Like, there's videos on Good Good or just Instagram videos where I'm just, like, absolutely just spinning out because I – and I'm fully cleated into the ground. Like, not metal spikes, but, like, really, really strong plastic spikes that won't even budge, and I'm still full, fully slipping out. So the second I wear Jordan 1 lows, which I love them, I wear them on a daily basis when I'm not playing golf, but I just can't stay planted in the ground. And especially if I'm not in the ground, I can't use the ground force to really pick up my speed into the golf ball. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I would think that that would be, you'd screw yourself right into the ground. You'd spin, you'd be spinning around or something. That's, (laughs) that's wild. That's, that's, that's wild. All that speed. Uh, Now, I mean, you talk about all that speed though. I mean, Michael, I mean, you being a PGA professional teaching so many players, I mean, that, that speed right there, was that something that you taught Dylan or was that something that just kind of because of this generation and what we all know with technology and the bigger headed club, like, like how did, how does he have so much more speed than you have? 
Yeah, it's it's not to, not, to throw, not to throw you under the bus. I mean, you know. No, but, no. But, yeah, you know, he's he's got he's got crazy speed, and I mean, I've taught him and my youngest son basically identically over their entire careers, and I basically a lot of it was just high hands and just get after it. And um, Dylan's very natural uh, with that. He's very athletic. He could easily be a wide receiver in football or a pitcher in baseball or any any or, or a point guard in, in basketball easily but he's just always dedicated everything and he never wanted to do any other sport but golf and i i f- tried to force him into other sports and he just wouldn't do it um he's very hard-headed like his mother and <laughs> and so uh but yeah his speed is it's a natural thing i mean it's not something where i take you know uh credit for it um it's it's something he's done and he actually knows it he studies it um, which is really, really cool. He's really gotten into the dynamics of the golf swing and how to create speed. And he tests it out constantly on the back of the range. He comes here every day. Um, it's really cool to see. And, and he's, he's, yeah, I'll tell you what, yeah, it's, it's impressive. I look forward to seeing what he does, you know? Um, and hopefully we're, he's going to probably go to Q school here, not this year, obviously, but next year, um, mm-hmm. is, is what we're looking at. Uh, because he is only, he just turned, he's 18 years old right now. So I think at 19 is still even kind of young, but I think at least to get into Q school and get a, a feel for it and a flavor for it, uh, is going to help moving into the, into the future. That's, that's really cool. All right. All right. Let's jump into a little bit. I mean, you, you've, you've talked about this just a couple times since, but you know, I, I just want to relive a couple of those moments during that PGA championship week and, and maybe not the moments that really jump out to the world as much, but kind of looking at how I, I looked at your scores and kind of how you navigated through those rounds there at Oak Hill. Part of this podcast and a lot of our listeners are, you know, our society members are all single digit handicaps. They're all really good players. So they're going to get a lot out of your thoughts and your insight here, you know, as a great player and a PGA professional. But what I saw, I I saw there was a huge moment in that second round that you overcame a really a, a moment where it could have gone completely the other way. You were finishing up on the front nine uh, you were three under for the tournament. You were playing great. You had to be in the you know top five or ten at the at the moment. You make a bogey from 84 yards on the par five fourth, which was your 13th hole. You get to the next hole, and you know what I'm going to say. You hit that hosel rocket, and it mm-hmm. glanced off the trees, and you know a shot that would would just kind of would throw people off. You did make double bogey there, but. It was what happened afterwards. The the f- last four holes of that front nine that you had to finish on are some of the hardest holes on the golf course. I mean, seven, uh, six, seven, and nine are brutal. Eight's kind of a breather, but it's not even really. But you made four really rock-solid pars. What did you say to yourself, and, and how did you right the ship from that moment where that ball went awry on the par three to, to finishing that round off in such a positive way? Yeah, um, yeah good question. I... Yeah, when I was going to the par five just previously, I had that, you know, 60 degree wedge, this back right pin. And, and I and I accidentally looked at the leaderboard and I saw I was in second place. And I and I had told my cat earlier in the week, I'm not looking at the leaderboard at all because it's never helped me one time in my life. So I wasn't <laughs> looking at it. I accidentally saw T2 Michael Block and I proceeded to hold on for dear life with that 60 degree wedge and come up short right and short side of myself on the par five made a quick bogey there, went to two under. And then I go to that par three, the infamous par three, the infamous shot where I'm trying to launch an eight iron straight up into the air to this front left pin. And so as, you know, what's your natural move? Hang back, drop it more from the inside and try to be more handsy. So I'm leading into with an open club face. So next thing I know, I hit it right off that hosel. 
I almost killed two gentlemen who are literally 10 feet to my right. Oh, man. I was, I was thrilled I didn't kill somebody, honestly. And then mm-hmm. it hits a tree. It was going to go across the street, and I was going to read T, but it actually hits a tree, kicks back over the fence, and goes over kind of up by a forward T in about you know eight inches of deep rough that's never been walked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I made a halfway decent double bogey, to be honest, from there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so then... As we've all know, because every single person on on you know right now that's listening has hit a Hausel rocket, and <laughs> and to hit a Hausel rocket on the driving range and then to try to get rid of it's one thing, but to, to hit a Hausel rocket under those circumstances um, and then to have those last four holes was a whole nother one. So I instantly knew what I did, which was the number one key, Steve. I yeah. knew I dropped it inside. I knew I was trying to hit a high ball. So the next holes <laughs> is the hardest hole in PGA. Um, I think it's a PGA championship history. Uh, and um, I hit a good drive and here I am again, I've got an iron, I got a foreign into that top right tier. And my initial thought, and when I teach too, and people are hitting it off the hosel is for them to get their hands a little tighter to their body through the moment of impact. That's the feel. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like what I did when I hosled the eight iron, my hands were getting out away from my body and they're going a little bit too much out to right field. And that's what led that heel into the golf ball. So the coolest part about it was that feels what I went with for the next day and a half or two days and a half. (laughs) And I was covering it and I was hitting these just like little baby cuts all of a sudden. And I was like, that's it. And so I literally was just playing these cuts for the rest of the tournament. And it felt so good. And even though, you know, usually that housel rocket would linger in the brain for, you know, a couple of days, I honestly got rid of it um, by, you know, within two holes and I was so fortunate enough to be able to par in and uh, and shoot 70-70 and make the cut for the first time in my life. Yeah, that, yeah, first time in your life. I mean, you've played uh, uh, you know over 25 tour events now, and you've you've made a couple other cuts, but in a major, you've been a, a stalwart on the PGA of America, you know, the PGA Professional Championship, and uh, yeah, that that had to feel really good. The other moment that really jumped out to me. It was that that the the obviously your hole in one has been you know <laughs> you you sat you you almost won an SP for for the hole in one. Uh, congrats on that, by the way. <laughs> Thank uh, you. That, that's pretty cool. But it, it was it was that finish that you had. I mean, you you bogeyed you you after the hole in one you bogeyed sixteen promptly. Pretty good bogey, I think it was. And then right. seventeen and eighteen are just you know five hundred yard par fours and. And you got up and down, I think, for about 100 yards on the on the 17th. And then you get to the 18th and you push your tee shot in the right rough. You had a, a tree kind of overhanging and you missed your second shot way left. It was over 30 yards to the hole. I went down there to look at your lie and what you had to deal with. And I mean, I was I was right there. I mean, it was this atmosphere and it had to carve out all of the the gallery just for you to hit this shot. You you. You were so in the midst of everybody. How the hell did you get that last shot up and down? I mean, like you couldn't even see the flag almost from where you were. <laughs> Luck. It was just my week. It was my week uh, for sure. Uh, when I saw the replay of where it actually landed, which was six inches into the rough and then trickles out short of it, I couldn't believe it because as you probably saw, Steve, that pin, and no one could see it on TV, there's a huge tier about three, four feet to the right of that pin. Yeah, uh-huh. And and so, I mean, if I, and I'm just like, I can't go down that tier because now, you know, under the circumstances, and who knows, I might three-putt that, get out of here with a bogey or double bogey. Um, I was trying to go about halfway between the pin and the fringe to the left and then end up about 10 feet past it and to the left and then have kind of a downhill right to left. Um, 
And that lie I had was into the grain, balls way below my feet. So I knew it was going to come out dead. I knew it was going to come out dead. So I, I added some extra sauce onto that. And it still came up probably a good, you know, two to, gosh, two yards short uh, of what I really actually wanted. But like I said, how my week was going, of course, it trickles out to whatever it was, 78 feet. And then and then that putt, I mean, I thought I left it on the on the lip, on that front right edge of it. And then all of a sudden it just trickles in and, and I'm just going between that and just the whole week in general. And the fact I'm paired with Rory McIlroy and the hole in one just happened a couple of holes ago. That's when I just kind of put my head down and I'm just going, this, this can't be real. This, this is, this can't be real. And, and, um, I still to this moment, I don't think I, I've realized it. <laughs> yeah. I, I went to rewatch a little bit of that, uh, before talking with you today and, and, yeah, it, it was just one of the most surreal atmospheres that you could ever be involved with, and, they, and let alone you having to go execute the golf shots. Uh, Dylan, I know you you couldn't make it. I think you had a golf, you and Ethan, your brother had a golf right. tournament or something that day. Where were you at that moment, and what was going through your mind? My coach, my high school coach, made my brother and I stay and play state finals. <laughs> Was it I worth would, it? Did, how did you play? And no, you, your mind I mean, couldn't your mind couldn't have been on I, on your game. Our our <laughs> team got fifths in state finals, and I got fifth in individual state finals. And even if I won individual state finals, it still wouldn't have been worth it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I I know. I you know one of the things that that I was I was fortunate enough to witness as well was not even during that round, but it was even before the round. And I I appreciated you, Michael, giving giving me ten or fifteen minutes to to talk to you before that round. And you did something that not a lot of people saw uh, and something that I don't think, I'm not sure many people, if anybody has done this before a final round, let alone your position that you were in. I I certainly couldn't have done it. You, you got there, what, four or five hours before your tea time. Your tea time was around two o'clock, I think. And you got there, what, four or five hours ahead of time. And you hung out with the people, you're a man of the people. <laughs> you hung out. <laughs> you hung out on the back patio in this, you know, nice VIP area, or whatever. But there was a lot of people. You're shaking hands, taking pictures. How did you think about doing that before that monumental moment that you were about to face? So I had uh, set up a ten o'clock meeting with a potential sponsor, mm-hmm. um, and so I and I had no idea how long that was going to take and all this. So. I get there at 10 o'clock. I meet with this person. It took five minutes. <laughs> and so, and so I, literally I have now pretty much four hours before my tea time. So my family, we, we all go upstairs. We have a, a breakfast slash lunch. Um, now I still have three hours left. So basically an hour and 40 minutes from before I start my routine. So at that point I take my wife to the merchandise tent and Your I'm wife, like, Val, Val, shout out Val. Yep. I'm like, hey, babe, I, I made the cut. I'm, like, I'm going to make a check. Let's go buy you something nice. And so I walked through the merchandise tent, and um, it was fun in there, to say the least. And so we, we get my wife something, and then I'm like, I'm not going to go sit in a AC uh, in the locker room and watch coverage. I'm like, I need to be outside. So we kind of walked past the putting green, and there's the members area on an outdoor patio. And there's a couple Andorondikes sitting there and uh, by a fireplace. The fireplace is obviously not on. And uh, <laughs> and I had like four of us with us from other team. And, and I'm like, let's just sit there and hang out because it's kind of in the sun and I'm going to stay loose. I'm 47 years old. So the last thing I want to do is be inside yeah. and uh, 
and doing that. So I'm, I'm way more of a social creature where I, I like to be out talking to people and stuff like that. And so we definitely went out there and had a good time. And then that's when you text me. It's like, if you could get a few minutes, I'm like, of course, you know? And, uh, yeah, so that's how that all happened. Uh, that's, that's, I, yeah, I, I would have been hauled off somewhere. I, I don't know where I would have been, but it would <laughs> probably not have been good. And that's, that's, that's why you've been doing what you're doing and, and I'm talking to you about it. So, <laughs> but, um, I, you guys have been awesome with your time. Just a couple more questions and I'll, I'll let you get back to the range hitting bombs there, Dylan, and, and back to teaching and flying around the world, uh, Michael, but, uh, Dylan, I, I know I've got two kids myself and, uh, I know kids have a hard time listening to their parents. What, what's maybe something maybe in golf or even outside of golf, if you want to share it, that, that your dad and with all of his knowledge has, has tried to teach you at some point and you just kind of blew him off, say, yeah, dad, whatever. And, but maybe at some point you've kind of gone back and said, you know, dad, you're right. So basically my whole life growing up, he didn't push anything on me. He, 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 he like, he um he kind of navigated me towards a certain thing which was golf and he made me love it from there like made me love it on my own from there and so another thing was he made it fun so a reason why I think I hit it as far as I do and will continuously do that is because when I was younger I would say I was never the longest but when I was about 14 to 16 is when I gained all my speed and in 17 18 I just been slowly increasing it and so when I was about 14, he orders these like extra long four inch golf tees, not the little ones. Um, he orders these four inch golf tees and he, um, he tees it up all the way and says, Dylan, hit, as far, hit it as far and as high as you can. Yeah. So I literally went for about a year or two teeing up as high as I could and playing that and hitting it as far and as high as I could. Huh. Low spin, high trajectory and have it carry and roll long ways. And so I think it went from there to slowly building my speed in a fluid motion. And so going back to what you said is that he made it fun for me. So then from there, I loved it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just, uh, it's just kind of like, um, you know, he made me love something and then I took it from there and then like, <laughs> and then if I ever need help with anything, then I just ask him. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool to have a built-in teacher like that. How old were you when you first beat, beat your dad? I was 13. Yeah, nine, uh, nine holes, I was 13. And then I think 14 and 18 holes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's and, pretty and cool. Mine, no. Oh, oh, I did shoot 69 when I was 12, but he shot like 66 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't let him have the glory too, too quick. Right. That's a hard one to give up. That's a hard one to give up, Michael. And it, uh, um, you know, I, I know you've said over time that, you know, you passed up your, idea of playing the PGA tour full-time or going out there and playing, you know, tour golf full-time because of your family, because of your love of being a PGA professional and, and your members at Royal Tribuco that you've been to, uh, you've been at for what, about 20 years, I think, um, yeah. you know, June 15th, 2026 will be a day that you're going to probably look at for the future. Uh, you're going to turn 50 on that day. And we all know that's the PGA tour champions age to get in. What, what sort of thoughts, if any, do you have of playing out there as your, your kids will be over 20 years of age by that time. And, you know, you'll be, you'll be kind of in a, maybe a good spot to do that. What do you think? 
Yeah, you know, Rob Labritz, my, my, the guy, you know, the man that uh, PGA guy that's actually gotten his card and stayed out there the last couple of years, who I really look up to, um, is obviously really enjoying his time out there. Um, I'm up in the air on that. You know, uh, I love help running this club here in, in Mission Viejo. I, I, I love being around the family. Um, I don't like having to make six footers to try to like, I, I wouldn't have to so much try to make six footers anymore to try to pay my mortgage. But back in the day, the big thing I didn't want to do was have to go from corn ferry to PGA tour, PGA tour, corn ferry, go to the Canadian tour, go to, and that's just something I never wanted to do because I always felt like I'd have to be a top 100 player uh, in order to really actually have a good life and enjoy it that way. I didn't want, and I didn't think I was that good. I, I thought I'd be like a 150 guy or something like that. And so I never did it. And so if I could possibly go out and I think I'm gonna get a couple exemptions. I'm already in the senior PGA championship the year I turned 50, um, which is nice, but Wonderful. if I can go out there and have some success and I feel like I can really compete and like, let's just say be a top 25 guy, then I'll do it. Um, if not, if I feel like I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be like that, you know, the 40, 50 guy all day, there's no way in the world I'm going to do it. So we'll, we'll see what happens in another, you know, over two years. Yeah, no, it's, uh, well, it's good. Good to uh, think about that. And your, your game is obviously really good. You, you've been shooting some good scores out of there. We saw that you shot 63 at, uh, at Valhalla this summer, a little preview for next year's PGA in May. And, uh, you, you're, you just won the, the, you know, the SoCal PGA that I mentioned before. So, uh, your game seems to be trending pretty well before you leave. Where are we going to see you next? Where's Blocky going to show up on our Instagram feeds next? Yeah. Well, I mean, hold, wait, hold on. Holding the trophy in Cabo San Lucas. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So the worldwide technologies event in Cabo, I've got, uh, the first week of, um, November. So basically exactly a month from here is oh, where it will be my next PGA tour start. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's my next PGA tour start. And then I've got, you know, like the other ones and I've got some pretty cool ones. Uh, I'm going to Australia also, um, in November for a big event. Uh, so I've got that. And then, uh, I've got basically December off and then I've got a lot of cool, uh, PGA tour events to, to start the year. Nice. Did I hear something about, uh, going to Doha or something going to, yeah, yeah. I, tomorrow I, I, I leave tomorrow. Um, oh. I'm doing a charity luncheon uh, from 11 to 1, and then I fly out of LAX at 4.30. Uh, I arrive the next day at 6.30 p.m. in uh, Qatar, and I am going to do a uh, – it's a kind of a video collab um, with a couple different companies that I'll announce. It's going to be beyond exciting for me as far as being an F1 uh, fan. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm only there for literally like a three- or four-hour shoot. And I'm back on a plane on Friday morning uh, to come back. So I'm only I'm only on the ground for like 24 hours, and I'm flying for like 35 <laughs> hours. <bro. laughs> well, that's the price of big fame. Well, I'm sure uh, <laughs> your your lovely wife Val for many many years is uh, trying to keep you grounded. I'm sure the dishes need to be done, or you got to vacuum the <laughs> the floor or something. But uh, you know, I'm sure she'll keep you just in check. Really nice Th guys, uh, Dylan and Michael. Thank you so much for your time here on the Silver Club Podcast. We love catching up with you and, uh, you know, just hearing all about your whereabouts. And I uh, can't wait to hear and see more about what you guys are doing uh, upcoming. Uh, Steve, thanks for having us, buddy. And I look forward to seeing you uh, hopefully soon on the golf course uh, <laughs> with that headset following me because that would mean I'm uh, doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good plan, my friend. See you guys. Right, buddy. Take care. Thank, Thank you, you, Steve. You.